like everybody always said, why is he at six, right? He's the shortest guy in the boat. I said, forget about his body. Look at his blade. Yes. There's the water, and he misses less water than the Sahara Desert. I'm Alex Del Sor with the Rowers Choice Network, and this is season three of our podcast interviews. And I got to say, I'm with someone that immediately puts a smile on my face. This man, this man is, is a traveling man. He's been all around the country. He's made a lot of fast boats, including me with one of them back in 2004. But it, it's rare to ever find someone, man or woman, that as you go through in your journey of life, you always call that person coach. He is, he is and will always be my coach. And for those watching, I gotta tell you, it's very, very rare. I've had dozens of coaches in my career from baseball, football, basketball. I did, I did rowing all throughout my 21 years of rowing. He is the only one I still call coach. And this is John Bancary. Now I had this man at Marietta College just one year. And we're gonna learn a little, lot about that one year, but now where he is today at Stockton University, John, coach, thank you so much for doing this with me today. Uh, it's an honor, thank you. So coach, we do this, we've been doing this a lot, okay? And I ask the same question every single time. How old were you and where were you when you picked up your first oar? Uh, I, I vividly remember the day we were riding our bicycles in the back bay by Ski Beach in Ventnor Heights. Yeah. And we saw a bunch of crew boats. So we, we rode over there and uh, I was 12 years old and the Viking Rowing Club uh, was still fairly young at the time. And uh, God rest his soul, Doc Holland, uh, was standing there and I said, wow, this is cool. And he says, you want to get in a boat? And he had like a lifeguard boat there. Yeah. And I got in and it was fun. He said, you should come back because we're going to have a learn to row thing. And that uh, was like the precursor to the chicken dippers, I guess. That they yeah. have now. But uh, it, the, uh, and, and that's where, that's where it started. That's a long time ago. I mean, Doc Holland, for those listening in, I mean, he's a major player in South Jersey rowing. You know, you're shaking your head. Yeah. Uh, how much time did you spend with him in those early years? Because I mean, his name uh, very, is very, name. I mean, he, he was my doctor. I mean, <laughs> yelled at me and said, you used to be a bull. How'd you let yourself go? You know, <laughs> he, uh, he, he was one of these guys that just said what he thought and, and smiled while he did it. And you could never get mad. <laughs> never. I love but, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that well, to be honest with you, other than, you know, a few things. But I do know that Ro South Jersey rowing started, you know, if you, if you trace it back, it's to Doc Holland and the coach at Temple, Bear Curran, mm -hmm. you guys. And then from there, they got, you know, some lifeguards like Stan Bergman and Bob Garbett involved. And uh, then Bill Subin, uh, who, who was a coxswain at, at, at Dartmouth. Sure. And, it, and that Viking rowing club grew. Then you had Larry Connell, Mike Hughes, and all these great coaches that came out of there that all started. Uh, and this tree just keeps widening and widening. Um, and now you... You wrote it. You know, on the water. You know that? Yeah, I do know that. I know that. Yes, he's out there coaching freshman high school kids. This is like, this is like the Pope 
going to the local church and decide and go to St. Michael's. I would think I'll send tell mass today at 10. Move over. I got mass today. And it's like, it's hilarious. It's, it's just. The funny thing is, like those little kids have no idea what they no. have. <laughs> no idea. I mean, like. Yeah, right. Now, did you yeah. row? You rode at Atlantic City High School. Is that right? Yes. I graduated in 78. Now, how, how successful was your team back late 70s? You know, we had some successes. Um, you know, I, I had like, like some issues. Um, let's call them social issues. Okay. And, uh, but if it wasn't for the, for the patience and grace of Bob Garbett and George Dennis, I would never have finished high school, go to college. Like I had no idea if I was going to go to college. They, you know, they gave me the five-toe uh, motivational method, and that's that seemed to work with me. But uh, you know, we were in the shadow of the Holy Spirit eights at that time. I mean, '76, Holy Spirit High School's varsity eight could beat most of the varsity college crews in the country. You know. Yeah sub 430 in 76 and you know and, and we had a good boat we we that one year especially you know we had a good boat but when you, compared to everybody else we were good compared to them yeah you know and uh so but but I, I you know I had enjoyed it we had a lot of fun and a lot of experience uh, rowing now you also, you then went, which is really odd to me, you went in the middle of the country, right? You went to Wichita, was it Wichita, uh, Kansas is where you went to college? No, 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 no. I went to the University of Tampa in Florida my freshman year. Okay, all right. And, uh, I still was who I was and had a better time than I should have. Um, and I'm sure you understand. I do. And I was in the bike racing too, and I would ride my bike to Clearwater and get back time for crew practice and something was missing in between um and i had a stellar 1.87 at the end of the year <laughs> my scholarship and uh um which was a good thing for me because you know there's a silver lining in every cloud and here i ended up transferring to the university of charleston a small school where there wasn't you know smaller classes yeah. where, where you were and there wasn't the beach to go to and the swimming pool and all that. You know, I was able to focus more on academic stuff. And the coach there, you know, was was young to rowing and uh, Jim Buckaloo. And he, he sort of, you know, I owe, I owed a man a lot because I probably drove him bananas. And, uh, but he gave me my first big shot and, um, you know, I, I basically went from failure. I was getting ready to flunk out of school wow. you know, to to uh, John. I need this boat. You know how to teach rowing. Teach this boat how to row. I want to start a women's rowing team. And, uh, you know, here I I became an A-B student all overnight somehow. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's, it's when you have a mission, I think things change in life. We all find that path. And for me, it happened to be coaching. And he says, you know, he's Buckaloo told me and my friends, John Schinsel, rest his soul, Stevie Callahan, were like, you know, they called me Uncle Bunk. 
Um, and this was before the movie Uncle Buck, by the way. Uh, they, they call me Uncle Bunk because I used to like take care of the younger guys. And, uh, and they said, you know, you got an ability to coach. You should do that. So, and Buckaloo took me in, had me coach that crew. And I really, as I said, I've been coaching ever since. Now you, is that when you I got into coaching out of failure? I uh, wasn't, I wasn't a good athlete. I wasn't a great rower. You know, I sculled and did all that, but you know, not, not the level you, you were, you know, but, and I've been coaching ever since. Sorry. So then you went, that's when you went to the middle of the country, right? Like I'm, I'm getting, cause I, cause I, we're no. getting we're there in the late eighties, right? Yeah. No, no. In the, the mid eighties, I was, uh, I started at West Virginia university, the club program. Okay. And, uh, we had, I coached the women there. We had a lot of success. And then Buckaloo started, he became the athletic director in Charleston, hired me on as the first varsity coach. Um, and we had a couple of really good years. Then from there, I went to Wichita State. Okay. Got and I was it. out there for seven or eight years. Uh, then I went to Marietta from there. Well, let's 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 jump to Marietta because that had the biggest impact on my life. Um, uh, mine and, too. Yeah, I know it did. I mean, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this to the recruits out there, Marietta was not the place for me yet you somehow got me that's another story but marietta i think you're there i want to say it was 94 95 is that when you started at, at marietta yes yeah 94 95 and the string of successes that you had there i mean first off why did you go to marietta because 92 place. well you know marietta had a storied program and they they did a national search, uh, and I basically applied on the second national search. Um, you know, I was at I was at Wichita State at the, at the time, and uh, this guy by the name Bill Coke took took over the boathouse to showcase his his America's Cup boat and stuff like that. And I wasn't um, I didn't fit that. You know, I was a bit different. Let's put it that way, and. You know, I was I was enjoying Wichita State, but I wanted to take my talents and see if I could do better. And the Marietta position opened, and uh, a few people suggested Mike Chip alone, um, Mark Long, John Stropek. You know, those guys suggested I I apply for the Marietta job. They think they thought I was ready for it. Hmm. And my father passed away. Like it, it just like all happened in in that period of time, and. I just wanted to get closer to home. You know, I used to drive 24 hours overnight to get to Atlantic City. And now, you know, oh, I'm serious. And now it's like eight hours. Um, you know, Marietta was only eight hours away. So, you know, the main reason, the bottom line, Marietta's had a story program and they wanted to have varsity eights. Um, and I thought it was great and I wanted to develop, you know, the, a flagship, a flagship system where, you know, it's not the four, the pair, the whatever. It, it was the eight best athletes that the institution could find, whether they had one leg, two legs, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. They were the eight best and that's who was in the boat. And size, money, 
pedigree, none of that mattered. All that mattered was how fast a bow ball could go. Well, you, you made a lot of fast bow balls, uh, specifically like in that late 90s, early 2000s era. Yeah. Or when yeah. Late, I mean, you had one back-to-back freshman eights. Your varsity was always in the grand final, you know. In the medals. In the medals, like all the time. And Yeah, I, cha- I changed my name to Bronze Medal Band Carry because three years ago, <laughs> Bronze Medal. I'm like, what the hell? But that was like Temple had those, those great boats with those yeah. kids and Canadian kids. Dowling, you know. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. You know, they had, they started with the Europeans. And, but, you know, there are people, young guys wanting to win just as bad as our young guys. And, and I still think we got faster because of that. Well, so, you, you, had, you had quite a system. I mean, I, because you know, being South Jersey, you knew you knew of all the best kids. But when I was looking at colleges my junior year, the conversation with the guys that were like middle of the road were always, "You should check out Marietta," and it was that was the power that you had. Yes, South Jersey yes. area, and, and that's that's what I really you know I was a BC student myself, and then sometimes you get the opportunity with the rice person. You could take they have all the talents, they have everything it takes. Mm-hmm need somebody to believe in you and give you that five toe motivation once in a while and, uh, you know, teach you to believe in yourself and then give you a good system with the equipment, the racing and all that, and you'll thrive. And, and that's what I think happened. Well, coach, when I'll, I'll never forget this. And this is the moment that changed my life forever. I, I was a very good student, like not the best, uh, but we were really fast that year, senior year of high school. I mean, we were top scholastic team in the country. I remember that. And I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm an Ocean City lifeguard. I come home one day in the middle of the summer and you're in my living room waiting for me. And I'm like, who is this person? And my dad stands up and he says, you're going to Marietta. This is your new coach. Say hi to John. And I'm like, what? I was blown away. Like, what is this? And then Adam Thorstead, Adam Thorstead was with us. We finished two full boxes of pizza for Primo and you would not let me walk out. Like you, you would not leave the house until you knew like I was committed. I was in. Yeah. And by the way, people watching and listening, that was July after senior year. Like I had no idea where I was going and you were in my house in July saying you're going to Marietta coach. That yeah. was the most impactful moment to me. It was unbelievable. Yeah. That's, that, that's like almost like the Andrew Bolton story. It's similar, but that's another one. So the one thing that you said to me too is you looked me right in the eye and you said, Alex, you're going to win a national championship and you could be in the Olympics one day. And this was right in the middle of like the U S going to the Olympics. And we were right. really fast 2004. And I, you made me believe in something that I did not believe in. And I think that's like your genius that you get kids of any age believed in something. And the day I arrived at Marietta, we believed in something. It was unbelievable, Coach. It was unbelievable, the system that you had created there. Really. Yeah, you know, that system, it's funny, like, you know, the systems are developed over years from, from everybody you meet, what you learn, this and that. You know, as Larry Gluckman, rest his soul, said to, said to me, a good coach is a good thief. If you're not willing to steal ideas, you need to get out of coaching. Oh. And, uh, and he would say it to me all the time. And you know, he was, he was, he was the best. A- anyway, um, 
you know, I look at the system that we created. And when I first got to Marietta, I, I had a good system, but I, I, I really believed in making it a two-way street where the athletes could come in, not, not at the boathouse, because you know how I was there, oh, yeah. but, but they could come in and give ideas. And I look at my training plans. You remember those little books I had? Yes. You know, yes. Like, like 50 of them, right? And all that stuff was modified over years from you, you guys, hmm. you know, helped me develop it, you know, gave me some ideas and even came up with like stupid names for stuff that, you know, you know, like the House of Wines series. Yes. Oh, I, I missed that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what was funny is Joe Palmer once said to me, he said, coach, do you realize that winning the House of Wines to us is more important than winning ahead of the Charles? That's a hundred percent. That was like, it was like who walks across campus and says we're the two best rowers, you know? I just yeah. had a conversation with Rob Johnson about that. Yeah. Uh, him and Seth Avery took a victory lap and and speared the train bridge with one of my new pairs and knocked the bow off. So. Well, speaking of Rob Johnson, you know, what you created, and, and I'm assuming you're doing that now at Stockton, is as sophomores and as freshmen at the school, we looked up to the seniors as if yes. they were the coaches, right? Like whatever they said. Yeah. Oh, huge, huge. And that's, but, but you look, and that's what one of the sad things about, I think with division one rowing, where they take young people, put them right in the varsity boat. Oh yeah. Have talent. Yes, they're talented, but you know, the social component, the moving along with your class, the, you know, I, I really wish they would get back to the freshman rowing and we all want to put, you know, if Herschel Walker is going to run 200 yards, you're going to put him in the game. Right. But I'm not so sure that's the right way to go about it because like you said, the upperclassmen took care of, of the younger guys and they tortured you guys too. come to think of it. That's no, not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's the dumb stuff you remember right it but is. but you know they they, they taught you and, and they helped teach me you know like I said it was a two-way street I learned just as much from the athletes in my time at Marietta was a great education yep. and, uh, it, it really helped me become much better and you know it, it it's good. I let, me, like guys. let me say one thing too. And I got like, I got a thing that I just want to just, I just, sometimes I just want to pop you right in the mouth for this one, what you did to me. So I'll never forget. We're, we're, we're in Miami coach. I know you're okay. We're in Miami. We're training. And I like, I had just went 624. Okay. And you put me in and I'm thinking, me and Justin, who's my best friend still to this day, Justin and I, Justin Callahan and I, are going to be in a varsity eight. You train us every single day with the varsity. I'm winning. I'm doing great. You pull me aside and you say, Alex, you did great, but you're not varsity. You're going to row with the freshmen. I had a breakdown. I had a nervous <laughs> breakdown. And you, it was the carrot and the stick. And you led me along. But then what you taught me and what the seniors later then explained to me the next day, because you just said you're not in, you walked away. What you had taught the seniors to do was explain to me what that meant, right? And then they said, listen, 
you spent a week with us preparing to lead the freshmen. Now go lead them for a victory. We ended up, we got a, we got a medal that year, but it's, it's that subtlety. It's the, it's the way you trained and educated your athletes, but I will never forget that coach. Like I, that uh, yeah. bonkers, man. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the old supposed to lead the young and the young supposed to chomp at the old, you know? Oh, and I chomp, man. I thought I, I, I wanted it so bad, but that was, that was a great year. I want to skip forward though, because what I then found you later. So I, I graduate college and you're at Grand George Washington University. That's right. You remembered and you helped me with that. Um, because the same year that you left, I left, right? So we both left Marietta. The, the, the irony is that coach is now at Marietta. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> so, isn't, that, isn't that funny? All right, go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. So you, you put a school on the map that no one knew existed. I mean, Grand Valley was well, well, you know, they had some success before I got there. Under Paul, if you look back at it, you know, in the seventies, they had, they were a varsity sport to the early eighties when they, then they decided to pump up, uh, pump up uh, football and they got rowing and, and wrestling. But the president of the university was like, no, it's important to have a rowing team. So they found money to make sure they paid a coach. Mm. But, and, and then they had a club status and had to raise the rest. But, uh, you know, under under Paul Springer, he had a few good fast eights, and under under uh, you know Richard Lawrence, he, he put in a couple good boats out there, and then uh, my predecessor Chad Jedlich had some some fast boats. I mean, it was it was off and on type thing. It wasn't consistent because of the changing in time. You got to give everybody a chance to get things going, right? Um, but but uh, you know so. So, you know, I hear people say that and I think, no, they really gave me a foundation to work with. Um, Marietta was a little tougher and Stockton, forget it. I mean, all right. um, You know. And so you, so you took this job in, I think, 06, right? In Grand Valley? 04. 04. So you, oh, you went, you didn't go one year. You jumped right over, right? No, 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 no. I, I. When you left to that go was to BYU, I went to Grand Valley right away. Yes. Yeah, right away. So, so what was like, what was the hardest thing you went through transitioning to Grand Valley? Uh, when I drove down the road, I thought it was Gilligan's Island. No phone, no light, no motor car, no single luxury. <laughs> no, the dock they had to take out every day, the launches to take out. We spent more time doing stuff than we did rowing. Wow. And, you know, but slowly, thanks to thanks to Bob Stahl, who was the dean of student life, we we sort of rowing became its own little fiefdom in Stockton at, at Grand Valley, and uh, you know they they support us where they could, and I found money, and you know you know how it works. I, uh, I do, I do. Now, so so, but like so, you guys got fast. It, it seems like you got fast real quickly. I mean, it seems like that transition happened. Well, like I said, he gave me a gold mine. Chad Jedlich gave me a gold mine. He, he gave me um, a couple good athletes, especially with the girls. And then we just recruited really hard. And I had one of the greatest assistants in my career in Mark McElduff, uh, we got from Dayton. And we just, 
he, he's married to Sarah Zelenka, or Sarah, Sarah Zelenka is married to Mark, however you want to say it. Um, she was in the Olympics in, in 12. So yeah. anyway, um, you know, yeah, it, it jumped pretty quick. It, it, but at it, that school, it was at, the at, right place. The water was great. Yeah, I remember that. I remember the water. I, 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 I was, I, I visited you that one time. Yes, I remember. So for that, so, but you managed both men and women's teams, right? Yeah. Like oh, uh, how I didn't kill, you know, it cost me, it cost me. But, um, you know, I would get up at 4.30 and get home at 7.30 and I want I'd see my kids maybe once a week on weekends or would wow. hide behind a car with a water balloon and, and whack them once in a while uh, when they come home from school before I go to practice. <laughs> now, how many, how many years? I mean, gosh, it was what? I was 15 at, at 15, mm -hmm. almost 15 at uh, 14 and a half. Then I jumped from Grand Valley to Stockton. You know, I got to tell you, like Grand Valley was like, I remember my boss, Bob Stoll, he said, keep dreaming, John, keep dreaming. And he never stopped me. You know, he says, I don't have it, but if you can figure a way to make it, we always figured out how to make it. Shit, we, heck, we went to to Greece and Henley one year. I know. You know, <laughs> with 30 kids. And that was, every dime was fundraised, you know? Um so, you know, we, we dreamt big and, and we did the most we could and tried to give each, every kid the best experience they could get. Like, I don't believe rowing should be just show up in a, in a city, jump in a boat, go row, and you're done. I want the guys like you did in Miami, go to the beach. Yeah. yeah certain beaches, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and enjoy it. Enjoy life. And, see different things like every place that we go you know when i took stockton down to dc my first semester here we stopped at the holocaust museum we you know the smithsonian and i wanted to to, to make it an educational experience as well as social like with grand valley the big thing every year was the butt right after the first practice the bus on its way to the hotel would stop at the art museum right yep. and all the kids get out run up the steps, take a team picture, and then run down, you know? It, it, that's, that's a memory that they'll always have. Forever. Exactly, exactly, you know, and exactly. And uh, that's like that. And then on the way, we stop at Pat Stakes or something, or one of those places. John's so, you know, I, I, got a, I got a question about the, the Grand Valley thing. So, Coach, we I talk to coaches and athletes all the time, and you built... I know you said that a lot of the credit goes to the people before you, but why do you think coaches today struggle developing a system, developing a complete culture in rowing? Because I, I got to tell you, I think that's one of the things we're missing the most in rowing today. I, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. I'm too immersed in my own little world trying to make this work. I think that's the answer. I think, I think the answer is that they're not obsessed with it. Cause you're up, you obsessed. I mean, when you, when you're in, you're in coach. I mean, it becomes your life. Look, if I was the tiddlywinks coach, I'd figure that out too. <laughs> it's uh, what's it matter? Anybody good at anything they do, you know, you can't do it half, you know, but it. <laughs> no, you can't. 
that's true. Now, I'll never forget seeing you in New Year's Eve. This is the year that you got the job at Stockton. We're walking the beach, and I'm that's you know, right. That's right. I remember you were there with your kids. That was great. Yeah, with my kids. It was great to see you with. It was great to see you with children. Oh, thank you. That's like the coolest thing of all the guys I've coached is to see them with their kids. I love yeah. that. Now, so it was so funny. You're like skipping down the beach because you're so excited because you got the job at Stock. Yeah. <laughs> like you really, everyone listening, watching. Coach was skipping and just bouncing down down the beach, and then you gave my family a big hug. It was wonderful. But walk me through like when you got that job. So, because that's I mean, this is hometown for you. This is a dream job for you. Like, what happened in that transition from Grand Valley to, to Stockton? Well, you know, I was talking about that that dream big, and that boss. My last two years, um, I got moved into a different department. And he was no longer my direct boss. He, you know, he had, and it wasn't as fun. Let's put it that way uh, for me. And I had been thinking, you know, that my last year was a challenge at, at Grand Valley, to be quite honest with you. And, you know, it's sort of like, you ever see, read that book or who moved, who moved my cheese? No, no. You get a chance, you all should read it. It's, it's a short read, but it's very good. And, you know, it's about you go to someplace new with all the challenges, but it's like a mouse with, with, with a room full of cheese. Hmm. Oh, then you get to a point where that's, there's just crumbs left and you're just chasing them and chasing them and chasing them when maybe it's time to go find a new pile of cheese. So I found the moon. Get it? Yeah, I get it. Clever. So, you know, Borden got nothing on me, right? Wisconsin's got nothing on me. I got a beat, right? And and so to me, when you saw me bounce like that, I, you know, I went from being scamper, the little mouse chasing, scampering for every last little crumb, trying to find a way to make it work. And it was just getting harder and harder and harder to do it to all of a sudden, I'm fat, dumb, and happy again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't use that word, especially for me, but, uh, you know, um, I, it, it was a new challenge and, and I was, I'm home, you know, yeah. some people said, said, you know, I, I say, it's like the Almond Brothers song, back to where it all began. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm back to where it all began. I, and the way I see it is, I left here and picked up stuff along the way in, uh, in Charleston, West Virginia University, Wichita State, uh, and Marietta, Grand Valley. And now I'm back here, I'm at full circle. And now I have all this stuff that I learned along the way and experiences that I can unload and give back to what gave me, you know, I mean, I don't even want to get into where I could have gone mm -hmm. and where I ended up is an opportunity to give back to an area that gave so much to me. Um, and, and, and for anyone who wants to listen, if they don't, they don't. What has been the biggest success in the first three years? The biggest success is the, the institutional leadership and some great support 
of local rowing people who want to see Stockton become a, a marquee rowing program for South Jersey um, and uh, a, a program of distinction, so to speak. And in order to do something like that, you know, you not only have to go fast, you have to build a te sizable team. Yep. People are having a good experience. It's challenging, but you also have outreach, youth programs, um, the, the whole ball of wax and, um, you know, just, and, and that's starting to happen. It's, it's, it's getting there. You know, I gotta tell you, I, having, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a South Jersey native and I think South Jersey rowing at the high school level is the worst it's ever been. I mean, do you agree with me on that, that there is just a lack of success and I guess commitment to the sport of rowing in South Jersey right now? I, you know, I, I, I would argue that everybody's getting faster. And back then the coaching was so good in this area and the preparation and, and so on was so good that, that, this was one of the best areas to row in in the country. And now with coach education, US rowing and this and that, everybody's getting faster. There's a lot more fast teams out there. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's how you measure it, you know, it, it could be a little different. Um, I think there's a lot of great coaches in this area that are coaching, you know, um, but at the same time, I also think uh, times are changing and, and we all have to sometimes forget that we did this in the seventies and eighties and it worked for Stan Bergman and mm -hmm. need to do what Stan did. And it's, it's, he'd probably be the first one to say it's, you know, that, yeah, I did it that way because it worked this way for me, but you know, you have to make, find your own way and make it work for you. Um, one thing I got to say about this area coaching on the intercoastal, if you're a coxswain and you think you're good and you want to become great, come here. Because good here, you could do it in, in Zimbabwe, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it, it's uh, between the boats, the tides, the low tide, blowout tide, high tide, five, seven high schools, uh, masters, motorboats, fishermen, uh, the drawbridge, God knows what else. <laughs> no, I, I, I recently rode down there um, in, the, in the end of the summer. I went to the mile stretch. So where Viking Rowing Club is. Yeah. Yes, Larry's house, you know, and you go out the mile stretch. I forgot how challenging that was. I mean, really, it is. You're right. It is hard to navigate. It's a lot of people out there who could give a damn about rowing. Like, it's, it's a challenge. You got your hands full there. There's also just as many people that love rowing there, too. That's true. That's true. Now, you, you, you know who lives across the street from La across the bay from Larry now? Yeah. He bought just bought a house there, Rob Johnson. No way, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm driving my launch. He goes, Coach, I pulled in, have a cup of coffee. I had my coach, I, I had my team do stationary drills. I said, Hey, you guys do stationary drills right here. And I had a launch, had a cup of coffee, jumped back in, and we went. We went. <laughs> See, that's what I love about you, man. You, you keep in touch with your athletes. Um, but for Stockton, like I was, I was having this conversation with someone recently about South Jersey. How many years away are you realistically from being a national contending team at Stockton? How, how, how far are you away, you think? A, a full class. A full class. 
a full class, like this year is a wash. So you can't use this year, but a full class this year, I have John Rosado, who's an old mainland high school coach mm-hmm. on board with me. And he's our recruiting coordinator and he is good. He's uh he's a good coach, rowing coach, but he's a great recruiter and, and just fantastic per he keeps me, you know, you know how mercurial I can get. <laughs> be fairly level, you know. He's like one of these guys that like his drawers are like, you know, dresser is perfect. Everything's perfect. And me as scatterbrained as they get, you know. So, so it, how about this? How about what advice do you have for the odd couple? <laughs> What do you have? What advice do you have for the young coaches who want to recruit but have a hard time at it, or let's say, you know, are in a city that is tough to grab kids? This is something that Chip Alone taught me years ago. Mike Chip Alone, he was coach at Bonner, and yep, he, he said, John, all high school coaches are territorial. They're going to take care of their kids. Talk to the coaches first. Get to know the coaches. Let them get to know you, who you are, what you're about, and what you're trying to do. And if you believe in what you're doing, you're going to have a better recruiter than if you went there every day. Wow. And that, that was the best piece of advice I ever got. So, you know, so when I go visit somewhere, I really go to visit the coach and not a certain athlete. Like I get videos and like, like tape recordings of coxswains and stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, what am I going to do with a tape recording? I mean, if they hit the bridge, who cares about the tape? You know, if, you know what I mean? I, I, I just, I want somebody who, you know, a very mini me, so to speak, yeah. who wants to get good and we'll teach them. And if they were taught well, then all the better. That's great. Then they'll teach me. You know, I've learned just as much from my athletes than they've learned from me. So, so that, I, I love that. I mean, how about how about like a sales pitch? Give me like a, a ninety second sales pitch of of why someone should go to Stockton to row and and to go to school there. Phone call from my assistant coach John. Um, why should they come to Stockton University? Well, first of all. Stockton academically is, is has a, a very good reputation. Uh, you look at all the the metrics as far as uh, you know uh, rankings and, and so on, and they're they're up there. Um, you know, in nursing, uh, uh, um, occupational therapy, um, and our marine science program is fantastic. The business program, hospitality management, which is like a no duh. You know the social work program, yeah. criminal justice, criminal science, forensics, and, and uh, there's some stuff that they do like I had never heard about, like like anthropological forensics or something. And I'm like, huh? And the kid explains it to me. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool, you know. And uh, you know, and, and the sciences a bit very big in the sciences, um, and, and we have a high high percentage of first pass rates in professional school examinations. So, you know, um, and, and we produced a lot of teaching in South Jersey. So, you know, w- with that, and Stockton University is on the up and coming. I mean, when the president of the university comes in, 
says, there's a few things I want to do. Number one, I want to expand Stockton University to Atlantic City because it, we're out in the Pinelands, which is a beautiful area and it's fairly isolated, only 20, 20 minutes away from Atlantic City, but you might as well be in the middle of Montana, you know, and you're in the Pinelands and it's beautiful and protected and all that stuff, but they can only build out so far there. So they want to expand the university. The president of the university once said, we're going to build in Atlantic City. And now they have the academic building. They're ready to break ground. They've broken ground. They're ready to start building a second building, which is second academic, second residential building on the beach. Mind you, two residential buildings on the beach. Could you imagine going to college, like rolling out? I don't think I would go there, though. That wouldn't be a great place for me. But, you know, a smart kid. But... Um, but but the beauty of it is the boathouse is three blocks from the dormitories. You literally can roll out of your bed and be in the boathouse in less than 10 minutes uh, if you ran and five if you biked, you know, as long as you didn't catch a red light. And uh, so 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 that that is the, the university is growing. Um, you know, he, as he said, he wanted to to move to Atlantic City add a certain number of majors and increase Stockton's national reputation. Mm -hmm. The next thing he wanted to do was have a national caliber rowing program. And, you know, this comes from the president of the university. So they, uh, and, and, you know, the university is doing fantastic. And I like to think the rowing program were on our way. Well, you sure are. I mean, you had a race this past weekend and, you know, you did well. I'll just say it like you did. You did pretty well. Uh, how do you feel about COVID? How they look? I like. I watched. I watched. Forget, the, forget about the end result. How did they look rowing? They reminded me of the the fast freshman eight my year with you. Right. Like, right. Nice swing. Varsity. Like your varsity looked like the yeah. fast freshman that we had at Marietta. Oh, right. like you coached the same way. It's the style. I could see it developing. And right. It looked exactly like that. Yeah, and it, it's coming, right? Like this week, we're, we're going to work on the percussiveness of the catch. Now, explain that. So it, that's really interesting. And we did this off camera because I mean, we're going to be wrapping it up here soon. And I want you to explain to the young coaches listening and watching what you are about to teach this week because it's really interesting about the feel, the hear, and the sound of the catch. Can you explain that? Right. Well, every sport has that sound. You close your eyes and golf, you hit it right, you know the sound. Wow, that was good. Baseball, tennis, whatever. Every sport has its sound where there's the element of touch, where it's perfect. And it, it, feel, it feels like this. It sounds like this. It looks like this. So this week we're gonna talk about the percussiveness of the catch. And what a good catch sounds like. You know, half the time, I don't even watch them rowing. I just listen. I listen for the click and the clack, the click and the clack, the click at the catch and the clack at the release. I don't want to hear a clatter, that's for sure. So if I do that, then I go like this, drum roll on my boat and say, hey, this is not wipeout, you know? And so, you know, the, the percussiveness catch, that, that bell note, the ding, the bell note that... Fairburns talks about. And if it's done right, it's, it has that sound. 
and it feels like the oar is being pulled out of your fingers. It feels like the blade is being grabbed by the water as opposed to water grabbing the blade. You know? and, and it looks like that Greg Lugane at that diver's catch with very little splash, like a check mark almost. You know, a little bit in front and a little more in the back and that's it. But, and if it's done right, by mid-drive, you can actually see that, that little bit of a splash start curving over to the stern by mid-drive. So, you know, anyway, we're work, gonna work on the percussiveness to catch, what it sounds like, what it feels like. Um, you know, the most four most important words in coaching that I heard were, it feels like this. That your athletes, when they can explain what it feels like, then you know they got it. That's, yes, you know, we don't, that, that's an, I want to say it's an older coach's mentality, but we don't hear that a lot. You know, the younger coaches don't know how to articulate that. And they talk one, too much. They, <laughs> they talk too much. There's one thing that, that I loved Dave, about your- Dave, Dave Kusick, Dave Kusick, Purdue. Yeah. Come into it. He says, trick him into it. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I just feel, the, you know, in any sport, you watch the young coaches in any sport. It, this is dynamic. The, the young ones talk too much. You know, they want to prove that they know or whatever. Whereas the older ones say very little. You know, you hear about Harry Parker and, you know, it was a few monosyllabic, uh, at least I didn't know Mr. You know, Coach Parker, but I heard he said very little, but when he said something, it was, you did it, period. So I'll, I'll finish with this story because this is really, this it speaks exactly to that. So my first time rowing with you as a coach. So this is the first time I'm in a boat. Bob uh -oh. Johnson is right in front of me, okay? And we're rowing and you go off and you just drive off somewhere. And you are still in contact, but not really looking at us or talking to us. And I'm like, guys, What's, what's going on? What's going on? And, and Rob says, shut the F up. <laughs> he sees and hears everything. Keep rowing. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this guy is crazy. And you came roaring back and you said, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. And you drove back out and you were gone again. And I was like, who is this man? What is going on? But Rob says, shut the F up. He hears and sees everything. And there it was. Yeah. I, it didn't sound right. I'll never forget well, it. Well, you know, I, I think I think one of the important things I think young coaches should, should teach this to their kids. The greatest coach in the boat is the athlete in the boat, not the coach in the motorboat. You're all you are is the teacher. You're teaching them to coach themselves. When they can coach their blade to perfection, then you will have done your job but that's part of teaching, you know? So I, I'm a strong believer in, in that to me. And that's why like, I let my kids look out at a boat. You know, they ask, why do you let your kids turn their heads? Why are they looking out at a boat? So, cause they're looking at what they're doing, you know? And I, I want them to look at the blade once in a while. I'm not talking about looking off, to, you know, yeah. to, to the sunset, but I'm talking about looking at their work and feeling what it looks like. It looks like this, it feels like this, it sounds like this. When you get that all involved, because we all learn very differently. We all learn, you know, 10% learn it from hearing, 
10%, you know, 50, 40% learn from talking, but most people learn by doing it, mm-hmm. feeling it. And, and, and we want them to understand, you know, to know that feel. I mean, what are two great drills in a row? Feet out of the foot stretchers, eyes closed, right? Yep. Right? Yep. Yes. Who doesn't do that? Right? That goes back over 100 years ago at Fairburn. Well, that's exactly what you're doing. You're going by the feel and and so on, and the sound. So, well, I appreciate this that rhythm, that, rhythm, that metronomic rhythm. You know? Yes. Now, listen. I've had more. I love this. I had a smile on my face the entire time. For those tuning in, listening, this is Coach John Bancari at Stock University for another episode, season three of the podcast interviews. Coach, thank you so much for doing this with me today. Oh, it's an honor. You know, you're one of my boys. How can I not? You know, this is it's pretty cool if you think about it. I love. I know it is. And thank you so much. And I hope you guys enjoyed more of this next week. I drove down a road. I thought it was Gilligan's Island. No phone, no light, no motor car, no single luxury.